Hello and welcome to Whose Song Is It Anyway? My name is Dr Hayley Mosher. I'm a senior lecturer in intellectual property law at Brunel University London. And I recently wrote a book called Copyright in the Music Industry, which is finally out now. I've been talking about it all this series of podcasts and it's actually out now. So I'm really excited. Um, And it's all about trying to help artists and musicians and people in the music industry understand more about their rights. And that was the inspiration for this podcast where we interview people from the industry and talk about copyright and music rights. My name is Jules O'Riordan, aka Judge Jules. I am definitely not a judge in a legal sense of the word, but that is my kind of moniker. It has been my artistic moniker for a lot of years. Um, I have been an artist. I've made records. I've been a sort of high-level A&R, um, event promoter, manager, done loads and loads of stuff in the music business, done over 5,000 gigs. And in the last 10 years, I've been uh, a specialist music and entertainment lawyer. I'm a partner at Sound Advice in London, which is a boutique uh, music specialist legal practice. And I guess I can take the kind of practicalities, if you like, of copyright and other things relating to the music business and apply them in a in a sort of a, with a lawyer's head on it. Um, uh, and normally that sounds like quite a long intro and a long CV, but it's it's nice to know we've got somebody on board today who has got an even longer one. <laughs> Oh, well, I'll try and keep it short. Um, hello, I'm Imogen Heap. I'm a musician, uh, but I've usually got my foot in a tech camp. I'm very interested uh, and kind of feel energised at that cross-section of where technology meets the music, the creation or the admin or anything which kind of stops that flow of creativity or it should enhance it. So whether I'm developing a pair of gestural music-making gloves with an amazing team, about five years ago, I got introduced to this idea of blockchain and that kind of inspired me in terms uh, maybe a new um, a new way that music could be uh, distributed, shared um, and understood in terms of copyright and payment. Um, and I'm also, I, I do make music. I made the music for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child play, um, which is very helpful to fund things until recently, until the theatre's all shut. Um, and I'm also, yeah, I'm developing my own AI with a bunch of fans every Thursday from a chair. There we go. Which I, I guess before going into that, into sort of asking you about some of those more individually, clearly you've got um, a lot of entrepreneurial flair. Would you describe yourself as being kind of self-stroke, learned by trial and error taught, or have you had any uh, semi-formal education along the way? Um, no, uh, it's trial by fire. I'm just like, this. I would like this thing to exist in the world. Let's do it. And just out of complete no idea how hard that would be just dive into it and just out of perseverance and stubbornness just keep going really um but along the way yeah realize that obviously uh, a gestural music making system is not just going to take a couple of months it's going to take many years um and it's going to need many people along the way so yeah i suppose when i discovered this kind of maker hacker space um, that people could make things that you didn't need like a bunch of people in lab coats but you know people could just get stuck in and make things that's when my my world changed from just being about making music in my studio and kind of took me into other other areas of making yeah, I mean sort of interestingly since I've been since I've been a lawyer I it, it's strange going from being a creative to being a lawyer but suddenly you get what well, a, a metaphorical view from the, from a mountaintop you're privy to lots of um, artists and other kind of creatives careers in a way that very few other people would be and 
you, you, you get to realise that there are certain common denominators about many of the more successful artists and, and entrepreneurs. And one of the sort of things that runs through most of them is actually being quite commercially savvy. Uh, and obviously you're very famous for that. Do you think, was that something you, was that something you noticed from an early age or you just felt it was a necessary evil in order to achieve what you wanted to achieve artistically? I don't feel like I'm commercially savvy at all. I'm terrible at commercial. Um, I'm good at like, I've got this crazy idea and I have a lot of energy and I tr attract people who are willing to go down a path with me and I'm just out of stubbornness, as I said, just kind of not giving up really. But I don't really know if I am that commercially successful. Um, I mean, I have, I have had other people, you know, who've used my work um, sampled my work and you know or remix my work and they have been commercially successful but actually I'm like a, a kind of soft success in that it's just been gradually forming and things have worked out whether it's something that I've got into a tv show or I've been asked for a commission for a theatrical production or whatever it might be or I'm like the woman in tech and music so I get certain jobs with certain brands like IBM or Sennheiser or most recently well IBM yeah um so it's a uh, yeah I don't know if I consider myself like I am I am successful in my in my life and in in business but I don't know if many people would see it as commercially very successful see I'm not really not really good at selling things we've had the word entrepreneurial come up a few times on this podcast and sometimes my experience of talking to artists and saying the entrepreneurial word can seem a bit scary um and maybe a little bit of resistance, but also we're getting kind of the message that in order to be any kind of successful in the music industry these days, you need an element of entrepreneurship rather than just being kind of a one trick pony. How do you feel about that? Do you think it's something that you like, because you mentioned about your journey of kind of recognising that there's opportunities, but do you think you've always been like that or maybe it's something that's grown? I enjoy the beginning of an idea and I'm very passionate about seeing it through to the end whether that's a song like you know I could start a song and it might be this type of song but I just don't want to give up on it and so even though it doesn't end up sounding anything like that song maybe after three months of relentless working and tweaking it sounds like something else but I didn't give up on it other other songs happen quickly and I just think it's about that um it's like you're raising something. You've got this this creative kind of picture in your head or a system or an imagination of a kind of a bit of a world that you want to change or you want to work differently because it's going to help you in your life and just not prepared to give it up, really. I, I think it's like you see you see how you want it to be in the future so strongly that you can't imagine why you would give up because unless you keep going, it's never going to be there and that's going to be extremely disappointing. So I think it's just a case of seeing seeing that thing that whatever it is you're developing exists in the future so strongly. Um, in a case with this idea of this mycelia, this kind of data and music from musicians kind of strongly represented as a kind of underpinning the music industry, which is greatly missing at the moment. Just wishing so much that that existed because so much can live on top of that and just not prepared to give up on it um, for, you know, five or six years now um, because I believe it to be the source of uh, you know, great change um, if we can get that right with, you know, many other people who also believe the same thing. So it's it's just um, just stubbornness. Other people, I think, would, de would describe it, uh, the common denominator, if you like, could be described as hunger. And, I, and, and again, that's something I notice in most of the successful 
musicians, I mean, clearly, I, I know creatives who are successful in other spheres, but, but musicians probably like you is where I know most people. And there is just a tremendous hunger in some of the more, the majority, let's face it, of the more successful musicians out there. Do you think that's something you can be taught or do you think you're born with that? What do you think they're hungry for when you say hunger? What is it? I don't know. There's, I think there's a need to prove themselves with a sort of passion and a capacity for taking knocks and wanting to, to create said proof that exceeds that of their peers, if you like. Yeah, maybe it is for some people. Maybe it is a little bit for me. I haven't really thought about it like that. Um, it's just, it really is quite simply, there's a very strong, like, structure in my head about how a thing should be. And I believe in it fully, like a child. I want to raise it. I want to help it grow. I want to help it, you know, meet people and um, explore new opportunities, new possibilities. It really angers me when there's a friction where there shouldn't be a friction whether it's about creativity or just like way too much admin or getting in the way of my life it it irritates me so much to the point that I reach a level of frustration that just has to be broken by developing the thing that it is and manifested over many many years you know like the gloves for example was just this kind of frustration of why do I have to take so much kit with me and like have so many hacks and workarounds to be able to create music on the fly spontaneously why do I have to have like seven people to set up all this stuff there must be a simpler way and eventually kind of twigging what that thing might be and just going for it because it's just so much worth the hassle of what already exists to counteract that. And again, with mycelia, just reaching a massive frustration point of why is this industry so ridiculously complicated? Like even though I've been in it for, at the time, like 25, 20 years, how can it be so ridiculously complicated just to put a song out there and for it to reach, you know, everything to come back to you in the right clear way? And why isn't data organized in such a way that it should be simple. Why can't it be attached to the song? Why does it have to live in all these separate databases and, you know, just being really annoyed? I, I guess that at this juncture, you should probably explain in a little bit more detail for those that don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very interesting. Okay, well, the mycelia thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so I'd just given birth to my daughter. She's now six, but um, she was about three months old at the time. And I had just managed to carve out enough time to create a song called Tiny Human, which was my first commission as a mum and I naively thought I took it like two months in advance I was like oh yeah no problem I I mean Scout's going to be sleeping he's going to I'm not going to have so much time because don't baby sleep like 12 hours a day I mean it's gonna be fine but that was so far from the truth it was like she literally never slept and she never stopped crying um and it was quite traumatic for everyone so anyway during that period there were these moments where Scout was asleep or she was feeding and my brain was missing that creative space. And I started to explore where life could be simpler. Because even just the tiniest thing of having to, you know, type in some information or get an ISRC code or whatever I might need to publish a song just became so irritating that I'd have to spend half an hour to do a tiny thing. Um, and then I'd have to fill it out in this other thing. And then I'd have to sign it up here and I'd have to do that thing just to just release a song. And I just didn't have the time. I didn't. I don't have a manager. And I just thought, why is it so irritatingly, annoyingly complicated? And then I heard about this thing called blockchain um, from a friend of mine who's a musician. She said, um, 
she came over to my house when Scout was very little. I was just saying to her, wouldn't it be great if a song, just when you uploaded it onto the internet, it just had everything that it needed. It had its time signature. It had all the information about all the different musicians that could have been the correct lyrics, the right song title name, you know, everything about it, like what it was about, who commissioned it, you know, the name of the person who did the artwork, where it was made, you know, the studio, like the gear that it was used. So much information that somebody somewhere would want to know. And why couldn't I just have that combined with the song everywhere it went? And I just wanted that to be the case because I just knew it would make my life so much simpler. Um, and she said, oh, have you heard about this thing called blockchain technology? I think there's something in it. I think you should look into it. Um, so I did. And I spent every minute that I could while Scout was sleeping to look into this technology and discovered that it could be a way in the future to simplify payment, um, to simplify access uh, of knowledge uh, and the distribution of that content um, and the kind of the life of a song right from the moment of the creation even the seed of an idea of a lyric or a title or anything right up to the point of distribution right into the ears of the listener that whole journey and back again through payment could be achieved in a history that could be seen and visible by everyone and that concept just blew my mind I was like that's possible that, that could be possible why don't we do that so this mycelia um, actually came from uh, an interview because Zoe put me up for this interview, this guy called George Howard, who is a journalist, well, he's a, he's a professor at the um, Berkeley College of Music, and he was writing for Forbes, and he was finding out what people, what musicians were doing with blockchain at these early kind of beginnings. And so we said, oh, Imogen's doing something with blockchain, which I wasn't, and I was totally open about it. I was like, I haven't done anything, but I have got some ideas. And it was like, could he pen them down? So I did. I spent a very long time kind of putting this idea into my head down into this very long uh, interview. And out it went, and I got thousands of replies back from this. You can look at it now online. It's like, it's very lengthy. Um, this kind of grand vision of a future music ecosystem that I never wanted to actually do. I was just like, wouldn't it be great if people developed in this way for music? Um, and so it led to this like snowball effect of so many emails, so many companies getting in touch with me, musicians, services, PROs, uh, performance rights organizations, like everyone. And I was like, wow, I've never had so much response from anything I've ever done. Even my most popular song over the years has never amounted to so much feedback. So I thought, I feel energized, like any musician does when they get energized by a response back from a song. I felt like, okay, this is a calling. I'm going to. I'm going to keep going with this idea. And I set up some hack weekends and um, we ended up uh, with a company called Ujo Music. They were like um, in beta. I don't, I don't know where they are now, but they were uh, using this blockchain called Ethereum. And we developed the first song that used smart contracts as a payment, which basically meant when you downloaded the song for a pound or whatever it was, one ether at the time, which is worth a lot more for a period of time, um, you downloaded the song and it instantly paid the uh, wallets, the digital wallets of all the musicians. It's not a simple, it's not a crazy idea. It's quite a simple idea. It's like there's a percentage, pay that wallet. That used to happen with mp3.com before the labels, you know, decided, oh, this mp3 thing is a terrible idea. Let's take, let's, let's try and get some money from that. But that's how it was done like 15 years ago. <laughs> so it's like not a new idea, but it got a lot of attention. And then I realized that there were so many companies developing for blockchain, but they weren't developing for the musicians. They were developing for the existing structures. So it was just for the PROs, for the labels, for the publishers. But there was no way for us individually to interface with these new 
new services. So I thought, well, that's the bit that we can do. Let's create a point for music makers to coalesce all of their different identities and be able to work and be prepared for this future so that we can be ahead of the curve instead of always chasing our tails of every new service that tries to figure out a way to do something with music. So yeah, then we started to develop this thing called the Creative Passport, which is an identity for music makers, where it's basically it's a knowledge store of stuff that you might have to repeat yourself 10 times over with different services, your biography, your image, your like skill set, that kind of stuff. And so much can happen from, from building on that. And it's nowhere near that, you know, that mycelia, blue sky thinking space yet, but I'm still driving towards that because that is the most natural kind of organic uh, solution for the problems of the industry is to have this kind of cohesive um, data coherence, you know, strong, verified, authenticated data to build from. Does it frustrate you that it's you that's had to do this and that the industry itself has abjectly sort of failed to tackle it properly? I, I feel quite grateful, actually, that as a musician, I get the chance to to have a go. I mean, there's been the opportunity for many, many years um, to do something like this, but because it's a non-profit, because it's a... I mean, we are trying to figure out now actually how we're going to sustain this. So we, we have been interfacing with a few of our creative passport holders um, on discussing how we could do uh, a sustainable payment model and actually the the response has been like, of course we would pay for that. Whereas I've been like, no, musicians mustn't pay for this. It's going to be their birthright. They should have a creative passport. But they're like, no, fair enough. You know, we're willing to pay like a pound a month or less or whatever it be, whatever we can do. But actually, no, I feel it has to be a musician to do it. It has to be somebody who understands that we are more than the sum of our parts. You know, at the moment, we can't be. We're a published, we're a published writer over here with this organisation or might be a producer over here represented by this organisation or we might be a DJ over here and we're not represented at all. You know, we just... Where are we? We're, like, fragmented all over the place across all these different socials, doing very nicely for those individual companies but not really helping us as a holistic... as a person. So it's, it, it makes sense that it would have to be a musician... Yeah, that's what I was thinking when you were talking is actually you're in the prime position to be able to do this, not merely for the motivation, but also for being in that from take coming from that perspective and being able to see the challenges that are faced by for example, the story you said about not having enough time to be able to do all of the admin things that need to be done. Not everybody has a manager or someone who can do it for them. So that makes total sense. Do you want to explain a little bit about how the Creative Passport works for those who maybe don't know? Sure. Um, so at the moment, it's basically a, a, a web page um, that you go to, you log in, and you have to verify yourself by using our partner identity verification company. They're called Yoti. So you basically sign up, put your name in, your email address, and then you verify yourselves as the actual person with your passport, with the OT, and it kind of, I think it's almost every country on the planet is represented, and you can do this if, as long as you have a passport or a driver's license. Um, and then once you're in, and you're, well, even if you're not verified, you can still go in and type information and use it as an extremely useful kind of 
data store for yourself. And you go in and you type in whatever information you can. So we prompt you by if you have an ISNI or if you have an IPI number, if you're a PPL member, for example, or you might have your PRS number. You've got all these different identifiers. And at some point, you're going to need them or your manager might need them to send them off to various people. A thing that I'm already using all the time is my public page. Uh, My public page represents everything that I'm willing to share publicly from my creative passport. So in my creative passport, I've written my biography. In time, you'll have many different versions. So you could have like a 50-word version or a 1,000-word version. Um, it's got my skill sets there. It's got the, the equipment that I use. It's got my inspirations, whether that's books or, you know, musicians. Um, it's got my various websites. It's got my representatives. So you can contact my labels, uh, specific label contacts, if you want to license a piece of music for existing songs that are still with Sony, or you can contact us directly to license something. Anything that I'm willing to share, basically, and many musicians will be willing to share pretty much most things, but other people might be like, oh, no, no, I don't want people contacting me if you're like super famous and you want you don't want people you know getting in the way it's often like when you're starting out you put as much information out there as possible because you want to catch as many things in the net um and as you get more successful you kind of tend to put, put less stuff in there that you want to you know put out there publicly but this is really to represent those people who are the like 0.1 percent who are doing pretty good at the music industry well as best they can um so in there yeah that's that kind of information it's stuff that services might find useful for example um you know tidal very early were very interested in the the idea of share, of having that inspiration so they could go on an inspirational tour of musicians so if you if you clicked image and heap it might take you through to guy sigsworth through to zoe keating through to john hopkins through to I don't know, a bunch of other people. Um, Arve Hendrickson, lovely uh, Norwegian trumpet player. Um, so you could be the discoverer of, um, you could be the, uh, you know, sharing sharing good news about great artists that you love. It's connected in with blockchain as well. So currently it's not. Right. <laughs> um, actually, because in the end, it was such a huge curve uh, to just get something up and running that would be interoperable with other services. Um, so we... We have some APIs that we're building and we're reaching into other uh, APIs and we use um, uh, OpenID Connect uh, to share information where we can. So it's early stages, but at this, at this point, we've basically put out an open beta. Um, we are primarily funded by my pocket, which has run out thanks to theatres not opened anymore. So we are looking at a sustainable business model, like I said, um, so for now, we just like put it out there. There's a there's a roughly about I don't know 1,200 or so Creative Passport users just putting their information in there, willing to share the kind of information to inspire services to start to want to reach out to us, so that we can we have a chicken and egg situation basically. We could release something which would cost like a couple of million that would be all bells and whistles, fully interoperable with all the services. You know, it might take us five years, and we'd probably have to be for profit and VC funded. And then we're kind of, you know, in a different situation there. And we didn't want to have those ties. Or we do something now, very very much grassroots. We're, you know, independently speaking to hundreds of companies. And we basically go where the low-hanging fruit is. We go where the love is. And we meet up with music makers who are kind of switched on. And they're actually developing it with us. Uh, So every Tuesday, we have a, a Discord session where Creative Passport holders can come up and chat about the features and suggest new ones, uh, tell us where it's working or not working. So hopefully within like, you know, maybe a year, it will be up for 
many more people to sign up. But at this stage, it's it's early doors. It's it's not really interoperable with anything yet. But for those people, they see the value in being the chicken or being the egg by representing themselves, showing their data to inspire the next stage. Um, that's that's what we're doing. Presumably, it's very easily transferable. I'm guessing not done yet but to other creatives other spheres of the arts yeah definitely and we hope um that we can prove it works for music so that if anyone wants to take it into film or design or you know acting you know it's theater yeah exactly the blueprint should be there um we're just ironing out the creases at this stage and even though the music industry is like you know we moan and groan about it actually it's like way better than the film industry or the design industry it has at least some infrastructure um for this kind of payment no matter how long it is in many ways it is the really the only industry you can you can kind of do this with at the start interesting uh, ambivalence isn't it that on the one hand you know it's very corporate isn't it you know sony sony is ultimately an electron an electronics corporation uh, universal owned by a well, I, I suppose spirit a spirits conglomerate and warner's owned by a, a ukrainian billionaire uh, or uh, ukrainian <laughs> oligarch yet actually the corollary of that is the fact that there's a central kind of structure to it that, um, you know, has a lot of negatives if you ask many people, but at least there is a kind of, there is a cause, there's a more discernible ecosystem. Yeah, so in a way it kind of makes sense that it is the complete opposite of that and it is, you know, homegrown, right from the ground up, musician, self-funded, um, the complete antithesis of that because it needs that balance. It needs to it needs to have this come from the ground up and and, may, and perhaps from the top down, you know, we, we, we may, it may become a standard. We hope that it does. You know, we're talking to DCMS and, um, you know, organisations to try and, I mean, we have been for many years. We're just not at that point that we can be, but we hope that we can prove ourselves as something that is greatly beneficial, not just for music makers, but for the whole industry and beyond. Um, we hope we can do that. I love that um, in some of our previous interviews, we've talked with artists and they talked about the need for artists and songwriters and producers and everybody to collectivise. And that is essentially what you're talking about is uh, giving a platform where you're putting kind of some power in the hands of the uh, rights holders and artists. And I think one major part of that, maybe it's something that's happening kind of like as a consequence rather than as one of your goals, is, you know, you're mentioning things like about the different numbers for the PPL. And we've had other interviewees say that, like, lots of artists don't know what their number is and don't know mm. what their identifier is. They don't even know that that's a thing. So you're really mm. raising awareness as well of the infrastructure and the things you need to, like, you know, the admin, like you said, it's a pain, but it actually is a major part of being a successful artist. Um, and so that's a big part of the challenge for artists and performers is even knowing from the beginning that this is a thing and understanding that actually there's a lot of power in taking some of that control and managing it yourself um yeah. rather than sort of like leaving it all up to the to the fates and to the to the infrastructure as we're calling it yeah that's true and actually that is quite a lot of the reason why the ppl is one of our it's actually our only kind of they're slightly integrated service in that they you verify um, your IPI number with them, um, and they they use you kind of connect with them. They send you back an email, you verify it, and then you're connect you're linked in. So that's another way to verify. Um, 
but yeah, they like it because it's it, people, a lot of people go, Oh, what's that? Oh, I need to do that. And then it, it can be an educational resource. Um, and we would love to go much further with that and, you know, be able to be able to have a list. And there, there probably is a list out there just there's so many things to do. Um, but we did this, um, we did these workshops for about, we did 40 workshops over 40 weeks um, on the last tour, the, you know, the last heap tour, uh, where we did these workshops, creative passport workshops with services and musicians. And we spoke to, you know, maybe a thousand or so. And um, that was one of the things we really wanted to do was to just get all the organisations in a list, um, how to sign up if you're not signing up, to have it linked to your, you know, where you are in the world so that it would just come up. Um, but, you know, even that just in itself is like it's a few weeks' work and it's, it's it equals money and we don't have the funding. There's so many things like that. So if there's anybody listening that wants to donate, uh, you can go to greatfastball.net and donate to, to us and help us do what we need to because... It's uh, it, my pockets have almost run dry, um, but we do think we are going to get support. We just need to present a business plan, which we are, you know, we're coming to terms with the fact that we need a business plan to get some funding to try and to try and get this uh, to really to really move forward. But in the meantime, we're really grateful to you know the twelve hundred or so signups um, for just getting stuck in because. It's, that is what we need more than anything. If they could just tick over and more people could come up and start adding their details to the map, to the profiles, that is really what matters because that's what gets the companies interested. Um, if they can see, it'll be different tipping points for different services. If it, it could be like a thousand for, um, you know, a startup music service who's just really happy that they get to have a, a a window of publicity in a way um, to just be like, oh, we're linked up to the Creative Passport. They've reached a thousand Creative Passport holders who wouldn't otherwise have heard about them, and they don't have to pay for advertising. So it's a good, it's a, and for for those musicians who are on there, they're like, okay, at early doors, I might be discovered just in the way that I was one of the first musicians. I'm not saying, well, maybe it will, um, but I was one of the first. Uh, musicians to kind of share my creative process on Twitter and as a result Twitter featured me um, and I got like half a million sign-ups just because people are like oh follow oh Imogen Imogen Heap okay I'll follow her and that's you know another another way for discovery so it could well be that these early adopters might find benefit just from being an early adopter that's what we yeah, on the subject of being an early adopter, inter- I mean, obviously this podcast is about copyright, but we are very loose in our kind of uh, application of that because we don't want to be sort of too uh, too dull and lawyer-like about it. And of course, which, which is why we have interesting guests like you on. And uh, one, and we get certain recurring themes that we talk about, one of which uh, has been artificial intelligence. We've... Um, we, we touched upon it, both the ethics, the, the creative ethics and sort of morals of artificial intelligence and from a legal perspective as well, because it's quite an interesting, that is actually something that's, uh, I think, from anybody's point of view, quite interesting when viewed from a legal perspective, isn't too dry. Um, tell us a bit about your journeys into AI. <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing anything really with music and AI in terms of creating music with AI. I've, I've dabbled a little bit. Um, I did a project uh, with somebody from Tom Collins, I can't remember, the university he was in. Um, anyway, he was kind of, we, we began writing a piece of music with some AI that he developed and we started writing a song, but then the lockdown happened and I didn't have any time and 
he had to finish it himself. Um, I, I also kind of explored AI with this great guy called Rob Thomas, who used to work for RJ DJ. He made these awesome apps that you could kind of explore the world of reactive and generative music in these apps, and it would make the normal world kind of come to life in a crazy way. And I worked with him on, gen on kind of identifying my musical um, idiosyncrasies, I suppose, that, that could then be replicated or, uh, you know, like what kind of wits would I use in intervals and how often and what kind of modes would I like to use, those kinds of things, which I'd never really thought about. I always thought I was being terribly, like, uh, different in every song, but actually it turns out I'm being, like, exactly uh, true, to, true to character. Um, so the latest thing with this AI is more about um, developing a way to interface with the 24-7 nature of the world and only being human as we are, trying to find a way to still exist in that domain, um, free up more time for me, but still be, still have my tentacles out there to gather whatever um, delights might fall into the net uh, or any questions or anyone that really, really wants to reach out. It's very hard to sieve through the immense amounts of stuff that comes through social media and as a result I've actually come away from it because I'm just like I can't I can't really unless I have like a team of people I can't really interface with that anymore and so I've actually come away from it and developed my own app um, with this company called Superpass. So I have a chair um, it's called the listening chair it was developed for another musical project um, seven or eight years ago but now we've rejigged it um, so it's like a, a traditional kind of egg chair you know like those 70s type egg chairs, egg chair, and it's got a, a, a tablet in it, and um, so it's got a camera, it's got a microphone, it's got some lights, um, I've got a little heart rate monitor on my wrist. So my fans go to my app, they type in a question to ask a Imogen, augmented Imogen, which is essentially a, a kind of glorified bot that is Watson, AI, uh, you know, IBM's Watson. Um, and they go in and they ask me a question. And it has a few amounts of, you know, a bunch of Q&As that we've done um, as much as we can. But it's, it's very difficult, obviously. It's like a whole lifetime of information to ingest into this thing. Um, so we realised that, uh, obviously, there's a lot of gaps. And wherever the gaps are, the person asking the question, whether it's like, is Fruitford going to do another record? Or how do you write a song? Or what are the gloves? Or can you tell us about the creative passport? Then the question goes into a Imogen. And then if it can't be answered by a Imogen, they get a ticket and they ask me directly. So every Thursday, subscribers to the app get to ask a question and they, we have a chat like we are now. Um, and I'm sitting in a chair and all of the information is recorded. They don't get seen uh, as part of the stream. I do. And the camera is constantly taking emotional data from my face face so that it can put into context with the the text in time to put contextual information around the answer whether I was raising an eyebrow was I being sarcastic um in time but for now it's like taking that information um putting the taking the audio turning it into text and then we go and check it in fact the fans go in and check it through a process which it gets like simplified, as you can see, I'm quite verbose and I go on and on, I don't get to the point. So she like puts it to the point and then the team check it for, um, you know, just to see if it's, it's in the right format and everything. And then it goes to me, I check it. So I just recently checked 40 Q&As um, and then that gets put back into a Imogen, into the AI, into the Watson engine, into the knowledge store. So if now somebody asks me about Fru Fru in the A Imogen, 
chatbot, they will have an answer and I will never have to answer it again. Um, so the idea is that we have these really meaningful, deep conversations that haven't yet been answered by Imogen and we get straight to the point. And it's been incredibly therapeutic over the last year since we started doing it every Thursday. I sit in the chair and it is like therapy because we go into all kinds of subjects like death and sex and copyright and you know whatever it might be and in fact most of my interviews I actually ask them to come into that space so that the fans and so that a Imogen can learn from these questions and uh, you know grow so the idea in the future is that perhaps a Imogen might be my like uber personal assistant but she may well and I hope she does or it or whatever they um, turn out to be in time at the moment we're answering in the we form um, because it's a combination of fans you know, going in and editing that 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 information, um, and myself, and in time, a image of my she is going to have a personality of her own, and perhaps that's manifested as a city. You know, maybe she's like she looks like a cityscape, and maybe when she gets a little bit angry, um, she might start to darken the clouds, or um, when she's excited and she's got an idea, maybe she's like constantly connected to me in the future with a chip, um, and I have an idea. Maybe it's represented by some starry sky, um, and then you can quickly nip over and hear that idea that I'm making in the studio to have everything fully integrated, and and I hope that she'll start to it'll start to make music with me in time and you may even think that it's better than me but that's okay because it's generated for me and I'll be okay with that because I've got there first that just sounds amazing Imogen I want one all I was thinking when you were doing that is like telling the story is oh my gosh teachers need this because the students ask me the same question every time every year (laughs) and what I love about it is what you were saying where it gets you to drill down into something interesting every time so people aren't asking you the same question every time because we know the answers to those questions let's go deeper let's go more let's ask something else and so it's more interesting for you and it's more interesting for them and it's so efficient I love it (laughs) and also Jules like what about if lawyers could be like that like here's all the questions that can be answered from the bot and then Mm. ask me an actual question that's interesting for me that I need to really think about you know Mm. who would be liable difficult isn't it (laughs) because you know one likes to think that if you're a lawyer you you know your your services are bespoke and irreplaceable but let's not be so uh, confident about that I I, I guess Um, well also because of the way it's connected to you so it's already all your answers it's not like because I've heard this before with lawyers especially is like don't want to be replaced by a robot but it's like more of an extension of you than yeah yeah, that's why we call her augmented imaging because she's like an expansion rather than a imaging she's not artificial Um, so I have a question if a imaging creates a song are you the copyright owner or is she well yeah interesting question I don't know um but what I think should happen um, just like we kind of, I don't, I think this is true that in France, if you have a photoshopped image, you have to identify it as having had a digital kind of change, that it's not the original face, you know, that a spot might have been removed or the wrinkles or whatever, uh, the skin smoothed over. So I think we are going to ha- have to have that, you know, just so these bulletins kind of pulled in from information around and then generated these kind of news pieces. I think we need to have some transparency in that and some kind of understanding, maybe as some kind of percentage scale or like a GM stamp, but for AI, that we can understand how much of that is human and how much of that is AI. Um, I mean, obviously everything stems from human, human. Um, but at what point did it become 
amalgamated and kind of unclear about whether that's somebody's point of view or where do they get their sources from you know people who develop these AIs like sometimes it's quite scary isn't it like how they perceive um how they contextualize things I I think some kind of some some kind of understanding of a scaling or uh how much human versus how much AI or um some clarity in that so if 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 an AI of mine did create a song um I imagine it might be 90%, you know, or maybe it's, but maybe that 90% is like the kind of quite standard stuff, but then the 10% magic is image and heap, the real thing. And you might want to pay extra for that extra 10%. Or it may be that actually a image is just way much better and faster at getting you just what you need because it's, it's, it's already seen the film. It's ingested it. It knows about the brightness and the darkness and the characters. It's already ingested all the information about the subtext and all that stuff and clothing and whatever. Um, and it's just like, bam, there it is. Um, but, you know, because we've developed her, um, we're just, we're able to, you know, have a revenue just as much as I am. So I'm excited about the future. Um, and I I think that as long as you're in the game, there's no need to be afraid. Um, a lot of people are afraid because of what might might be, but if you're part of the development of that space, you, you, you tend to be less afraid. Um, but maybe I'm just being naive <laughs> and kind of propelling us into a, a dark future. Um, but I don't think so. <laughs> I think that's very good advice. Uh, and I would agree that people I've spoken to, people are either really excited and it tends to be because they have some involvement or some interest in it or um, a bit afraid because they're also not sure if it's going to change the status quo in terms of that what you're talking about there is really an interesting dynamic of the relationship between the human creator and the AI creator. And what I love about your idea, which kind of I think will help people who are a bit afraid because they're afraid that the AI creator will reduce the value of the human creator. Mm -hmm. um, but the way you're explaining it is kind of like, well, if you are connected, it's always you anyway. And probably it's those things like creativity, spark, inspiration, things that are human that is your value and also that the thing you said about having some kind of transparency about it like it's a really good metaphor to say a bit like with social media or whatever or even product placement something like that where there's a notice that keeps it like this is AI music even though like you said there might be circumstances where AI creation is more effective for things like, I would use the example of probably AI will be better at making a song or a sound that will calm me during a procedure or dentist or, you know, something <laughs> like where you want a really specific piece of music to achieve a goal, like yeah. where um, a friend of mine does research into how music can help people with certain conditions like Alzheimer's because it helps them remember. And so if you could put their life into an AI system, I think that would be amazing. Yeah. And I'd probably more you. effective with a with an AI than a person. Yeah, I completely with you. I think AI, uh, computer music should have its proper day. You know, the people say, oh, that's just computer music, but it's not computer music, it's just people using computers to make music but actually let you know let it have its day we're going to be able to get to the point where your devices are going to know about your emotional state like you just said so you could be feeling a bit down at your desk and your ai assistant um would be like oh, oh um, Haley's a bit down um okay i love the idea that 
I could somehow personalize your experience with with me or how I might you know mix with Pharrell's AI and how that kind of perfect combination of Pharrell's awesome production with maybe some stuff that I've done over here um to create that lovely combo that couldn't exist otherwise or maybe the mixture Um, of eight two different uh, AIs is almost the scary stuff of brave new world isn't it that's quite quite fascinating and what would happen if with the mixture of two uh, sort of AI resources in in a creative sphere is even more uh, bizarre a prospect, really, isn't it? Yeah, but that's the bit which we should celebrate because that's that's the really that's a really interesting fun bit. Um, because every time I find every time I work with computers or every time I, I have done anything like this, and I'm only just starting, it immediately steps my game up. I'm like, oh, that's dealt with. Oh, now I'm going to do this. So in a way, it's like. I don't want to like dumb down what the AI could do because I'm sure they're going to do amazing things. Um, but in the beginning, it's going to be, I feel like it's going to be more of an assistant mode where they can achieve a certain standard of things um, up to a point. But then to create that extra little woof, um, it's going to need the human to come in and just like tweak it and tweak it and make it just right um, and take it to the next level so in many ways just just as computers do they they help you achieve more than what you could do just you know in your own you know pen and paper world um, i mean people are using ai kind of in a way which is drum machines you know i mean like generating stuff people have you know there's already a line that's been crossed many years ago um it's just what we what we haven't achieved yet i guess maybe make people scared or slightly nervous <laughs> it's been really really fascinating talking to you imogen Heap. thank you thank so you, much. Thank and, you, thank uh, you. Yeah, i mean long, long long may you reign i mean it sounds really patronizing it's not meant <laughs> so incredible what you're doing with such a different and interesting range of things and um i think uh, many people would be pleased to be doing half of it so uh, and it's great to hear hear plenty about it Oh, thank you. And I'd like to thank all the people that work with me because they're the ones who make it possible. And they are awesome and amazing. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe.